Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible study. Uh, after a week off uh, last week, it's great to be back with you. And Sherry and I uh, had a wonderful, 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 much-needed vacation. And thanks uh, for all your prayers and and, uh, and and all of you that were hoping we could have some time to rest. There's been a lot going on, all good things, but uh, we needed time uh, to go back and and uh, you know spend time with each other and 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 feed our, our marriage, which which we did and had a wonderful, wonderful time together. It could not have gone better. So uh, back this week and back at it, a couple things going on. If you are uh, you know, either listening to this as it's happening live, watching it live or listening, or you're watching or listening on the same day, meaning that it is a, a Wednesday, May the 19th, uh, tonight I'll be headed to New Life Chapel in Madison, Alabama, uh, the Men's Discipleship Strategy from themanchurch.com. Uh, you know, it involves uh, gatherings of men, uh, meaning high challenge, which we'll do tonight in Madison, Alabama. And then we put the men tonight uh, into the Bible study, the curriculum, which now is the high equipping part of what we do. And that process repeats itself uh, nonstop for 40 weeks out of 52 weeks every year. Uh, so if you would like to be part of that, your church is looking for a game plan. Uh, just go to themanchurch.com. We now have two uh, 40-week curriculums. We released our second one. The first one is called The Pursuit. We take uh, eight different characteristics that should be found in uh, uh, the pursuit of a Christ-centered masculinity. They're, they're found in the person of Jesus, God, who became a man, the perfect example of how to be a man, are the teachings of Jesus and his disciples. That's the first curriculum. It's called The Pursuit. Many churches are doing that right now at different stages. But some churches uh, have already finished it, so they were now into the second curriculum, and it's available to you now. It's called Real Men. Uh, we take eight men of the Bible, and we spend five weeks on each man. So the first one is is a perfect example of, of, of how to be a man. The second one is we look at these men of the Bible, and the only thing good about them is, is, is God, uh, and we see how we should do things, but also in these men, because they're flawed like all of us, we also see many things we should avoid. Uh, so if, uh, if you're interested in our new curriculum, it's available now. Uh, maybe your church has finished the first one, or... Uh, like my home church, uh, we're going to start uh, with uh, with the real men of the Bible first uh, because uh, uh, Sherry and I are part of a, a church we've only been part of for uh, a little less than a year. So we're going to start it there. So you have a choice. You can say, I've already done the pursuit, so let's go to the second one. Or you could just say, we're starting for the first time, and I just picked that one first. doesn't matter which order you do the curriculums. That's, that's totally up to you. Uh, so we'll be there tonight in Madison, Alabama. June 3rd, be at Winfield Baptist Church in Winfield, Alabama, doing the same thing. We're kicking it off, uh, and then they're going into the men's discipleship strategy. And then men from all over the country will be traveling to Huntsville, Alabama, on Father's Day weekend. I'll be with Herschel Walker. I'll be with Jonathan Evans, uh, Gary Chapman. Uh, Ike Reichard, uh, Phil Waldrop, Charles Billingsley, we'll all be together at the Propes Arena in Huntsville, Alabama for the Gridiron Men's Conference. And if you haven't gotten your tickets for that, you'd love to be there, uh, you can go to gridironmen.org. So let's uh, let's pray. Uh, let's pick up. We're almost done uh, with this series, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Today, uh, uh, something that, that, if we're honest, we all have wondered about, and that is... Uh, when we're looking to do God's will, how do we know if we're in God's will? How, how do we know this? I want to do what God wants me to do. Well, how do we know exactly what God wants me to do? Where does this come from? How do I find myself in God's perfect will for my life? We'll unpack that today uh, in session 21, I think, 
of, uh, of knowing God. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, this is, this is something that uh, if we're all just honest, sometimes we don't understand. Sometimes we don't know how to do this. Uh, uh, am, am I in God's will? Uh, I've got a decision to make. Which one of these decisions would God have me make? Uh, I'm changing jobs. Uh, what job should I go to? What church should I be part of? Who should I marry? Uh, you know, all these things uh, that that uh, uh, that we want your guidance on. How do we know when we're right? And how do we know when we're wrong? Uh, we'll unpack that today. And Lord, help us to understand it. Uh, again, overcome the many limitations that I have. Uh, an unworthy messenger. Help me to uh, to be able to uh, communicate your perfect message, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, thou art God. Thou art the guide. Uh, what, what does it mean if, if God is our guide and we want to always be following him and doing what he wants us to do? Uh, you, you hear this all the time. If somebody say, well, they'll say, hey, man, I, I'm, I'm trying to decide whether I need to leave my job. I will tell you this. I'm, I'm praying over some things right now in my own life that I'm seeking God's guidance on. Uh, I don't completely have it yet. Uh, and so I'm, this, this is a very timely message for me. I'm sure some of you are out there saying, I'm trying to decide, you know, if I'm, I need to move. Uh, I need to try and decide if I need to downsize. I'm trying to decide if I need to take on a new career. Some of you that are single that are watching this, is this the person I'm supposed to marry? So uh, these, these are questions that have been in front of all of us, and, and J.I. Packer talks about that. He said, too many Christians uh, find that guidance, being under God's guidance, is a chronic problem. Uh, not because that we doubt, if you're truly a, a disciple of Jesus, therefore you can be called a Christian. It, it, you know, it's not that we doubt the divine guidance. We don't, that we doubt that that's a fact. We do need, believe that God is sovereign. We do believe that his way is the right way. That's not really our problem. But uh, they know, because we know what God can do, and we know that he promised to actually guide us, uh, the problem is sometimes we don't really know uh, how to access it. We, we don't really know when, when am I getting my answer? What does the answer look like? And so we're going to unpack that today. So does God have a plan for every individual? The answer is yes. Uh, does, does God have the ability to communicate his plan for us to us? Yes. Uh, let's, let's look uh, quickly into the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, a couple places you'll, you'll look here. First of all, let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 10 through 11. Uh, and and you, you see Paul writing to Ephesus, and, uh, and, and he's talking about the mystery of God's will. You see this actually, let's start in verse 7. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So we got that. Which he lavished upon us in all his wisdom and insight. Look at 9 making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him, talking about Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance which has been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of of his will. Well, this is what Paul's really talking about here, being very specific. He's saying God had the plan of redemption that was predestined through Jesus Christ, and Jesus has completely fulfilled it. And God said that he was going to do this. He said it was going to be done. He had predestined how he was going to do it. He has accomplished this. This has always been his will 
to provide this redemption for us, and his perfect will has, has been accomplished, and he also makes available to us, makes available to us, uh, the, the, the individual plan that he also has for us. So we want to find ourselves, what, in God's will. So the, the, what we take on today is how do I know what God's will is for my life? So I, I, one of the things he talks about that many people, even in the Christian faith, remain anxious because we're not certain of, uh, of our own receptiveness to the guidance that God actually offers. He, he said, so uh, the knowledge of God many times, and he says, and he blames some of the teachings we have at some of the modern Western churches. He said, I think some of the problems that Christians have saying, I'm not sure I'm confident. I'm not sure I'm confident uh, in God's will. I'm not sure I'm confident in, in, in God's guidance in my life. And some of that, he says, can be blamed on the fact that they don't really know God all that well. It's, it's, the, it's the theme of the entire book. Some people might have learned some concepts about God, but in the church they attend or maybe of their own uh, uh, inadequacy or their own decisions not to dive in deeper, not to grow spiritually. It says a lot of times people out there, if you're watching this or listening to this, and I can think of this in my life, says a lot of times you can't figure out God's will or you don't sense God's guidance. It's simply because you don't know God. And, and, and some of you have not learned enough about God to know, because if you want to know God's will, and we're going to unpack this pretty quick, what, where's the main place to figure that out? In his word. I mean, God, God has, has shown us a, a lot, a lot, you know, I, you hear this all the time. There's no need to pray over decisions that the Bible's already answered. Uh, I mean, you say, well, you know what? I, I wonder, I wonder if I should have an affair with this woman at the office. I'm going to pray about that. Well, there's no need to pray about that because the Bible's already said that's forbidden and that is the wrong decision and it would not be in God's will. So, but let, let's say this. Let's say you don't really know that. You, you don't know things. It says, it says, you know, so many times if you're not all that, um, all that savvy, you don't have all that much depth in your knowledge of God, then you're easily deceived by the adversary because he can take things and twist them and obscure them and hide them and sprinkle a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and you can't discern it, so sometimes you get confused. He said, um, in effect, uh, a lot of the, our problem is an ignorance of God. Uh, we, we've twisted our thoughts about God. We've, we don't have the right uh, v- vision of, of, of the reality of God's rule, uh, God's speech, meaning the way God talks, God's independence, God's moral goodness, even God's personality. <clears throat> he said, now this is not just outside the church. Many times we're not getting these things right inside the church because a lot of times they're not taught correctly or they're not really addressed at all. So one of the things that we, we definitely want to look at is belief that, that divine guidance is real because God does has, have a plan uh, rest upon two foundation facts. First, and I mentioned this, the reality of God's plan for us. Second is the ability of God to communicate with us on both these facts. The Bible actually has a lot to say. So Number one, you're saying, does God have a plan for me? Yes. Can God communicate this plan to me, or is it just so obscure, and he's just, he's so God, and I'm so not, even if he has a plan for me, there's no way I can ever really get it. Well, yes, God can communicate to it, and uh, to us, and, and, and he does have it. So that we need to establish right out of the gate. He had a plan. Here's some of the examples out of Scripture. If you look to Scripture, you'll see he had a plan 
of redemption from his people from Egyptian bondage when he guided them through the sea uh, and and the desert by uh, means of a pillar of a a cloud by day and and fire by night. He had a a plan, you see it in Scripture, for the return of his people from Babylonian exile where he guided uh, them by setting Cyrus on the throne and stirring his spirit. If you want to see this, you can find this in Ezra 1. That means God was was working all this out. I'm going to deliver them from bondage on my time. I've got a plan on how I'm going to do it. I'm going to reveal that plan to them. I'm going to place Cyrus where he needs to be at the time. All this is going to be happening. And um, and then he sent the Jews home to build their temple. He had a plan in the New Testament. Like we just said, he had a plan for redemption through Jesus. Uh, if you read Luke 18, 31, uh, or Luke 22, 22, and, and so on, it's everywhere. Jesus' whole business on earth was what he say. Told us this in our study in the Gospel of John. The writer of Hebrews talks about this as well. Jesus said over and over again, I am here to do what? My Father's will. I am here to carry out my Father's will. So what Jesus did was, was God's will, and it was clearly laid out for us. If we know it, we watch how Jesus operated. And, and what did people say? We want you to be a military leader to overthrow a Rome. And what did Jesus say? That's not who I am. Well, that's what we thought you were supposed to be. Well, you didn't read uh, everything. Uh, you saw Isaiah tell you uh, clearly that I, w- that I was going to come in a different way. You- you're missing some of the prophecy about me. So if they-, if they said God's will was to send Messiah to overthrow the Romans the first time, that means that they missed God saying his plan through the prophets of the Old Testament that actually told them otherwise. They had misinterpreted that. They had that wrong. And Jesus said, no, if, if you knew my father and you knew my, my father's words, you would see that the way I'm doing this is actually what my father planned all along. And I'm here to do the will of my father. So you see that God had a plan for Paul. Uh, you see this in, in Acts 21, 14, 22, 14. Uh, you see it in 26, uh, uh, 16 through 19. You see Paul talking about this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 16, in five of his letters, what does Paul say? He announces himself as an apostle, underline this, by the will of God. So was, was, was Paul going to be an apostle? Yes. Did God lay out the way he wanted it done? Yes. What did he say to Ananias when Ananias said, you want me to go see Saul? I mean, this guy's killing us. He's, he's putting us in prison. He's killing us. But what did God say to Ananias? He's ready now. I've I've met him. He's blind. He has scales over his eyes. He's humbled. He's sitting in the dark, and he's waiting on you. I've handled all that, and I and this is this is the plans that I have. And then what did he? What what did what did Jesus tell Paul? I mean, what did uh, uh, Jesus tell Ananias to go tell Paul? Go tell him all the things he must suffer for me. That's what he's going to do. And and you see the apostle Paul saying in uh, in five of his letters. I am an apostle by the will of God. God had a plan for Paul. God has a plan for you. And I think this is it. And I've been guilty of this. I think where we have trouble is we think that there's something about these people of the Bible that they have access to something we don't have. You you realize that you and I have access to the exact same thing that Paul has access to. Peter, John, anybody in Scripture, Old and New Testament. I mean, we, we have access to the same exact thing, and somehow we think, well, 
I see what God did with the, you know, I, I read a very funny uh, Bible study last night. We were, we were doing a Bible study. My, two of my sons are home, uh, and Sherry and I, and uh, with uh, one of them's girlfriend, we were doing a Bible study last night by Warren Wearsby, and he starts off uh, in, in a, a Bible study about 1 Corinthians, and he said that if Jesus had turned in the 12 guys that he had picked, to some, you know those services for your company that vet out people, uh, whether they're going to work for your company or not, whether these were good hires or should be good hires. And, and he said the company would have come back and said, these guys, we only got one guy of these 12 that we think meets the criteria to, to really be an asset to your ministry, and that's Judas of Iscariot. These other guys, they, there's no way they can do it. And, and so, see, once again, Jesus always picks these unlikely people. Why? Because that shows the power of God. And somehow we think, that, that the same God that did all these things and had all these plans for all these people that we see documented in Scripture, but not for us. Not for us. He, he just stopped doing that. Uh, I don't have access to that. Well, that's blasphemy because Jesus came and said that we, we did the whole study on the adoption. We did the whole study on, on our redemption uh, the, and, and how we've now been brought into the same standing as co-heirs with all these people, including Jesus himself. So if God's not using you and God's not using me, we are the ones who are missing it if we're redeemed. We're the ones who are missing it because it's there. And, and so today what we're talking about is, well, how do I access that? Well, mainly, number one, you got to write down is knowing the word of God. That, that's, that's where we find, uh, find it uh, the most. He made, God has made his will known uh, to and through the Old Testament prophets. He guided Jesus and Paul. Acts records several instances, uh, uh, detailed guidance. Remember Philip? Philip was sent where? To the desert to meet the Ethiopian eunuch. God said, I had a plan for this. I want you to go meet this eunuch. I'm going to set it up where you can. Peter being told to accept the invitation of Cornelius. Peter didn't want any part of that. But he accepted that in Acts chapter 10. Uh, the church at Antioch being charged to send Paul and Barnabas as missionaries. You see that in 13.2 of Acts. Paul and Silas being called into Europe in chapter 16. Paul being instructed to press on with his Corinthian ministry, even though they were frustrating him to no end. God said, I want you to continue this. And though guidance by uh, dreams, vision, and direct verbal messages must be judged as and this is what we need as exceptional and not normal. Even for the apostles, that wasn't normal. It did happen, but it wasn't the norm and their contemporaries. Yet these events do at least show that God has no difficulty in making his will known to his servants. And that's the key. That's the key. One of the reasons, and I'll say this in my own life, one of the reasons I lived my life in kind of a reckless abandon, not really knowing what I was supposed to do and not do, and often doing the wrong thing, or mostly doing the wrong thing, was because I was not a servant of God. I didn't have the kind of intimate relationship with God that I could understand his prompting. I didn't have, any, I didn't have the, the Holy Spirit and the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit, which we'll get into that too because we've got to be careful with that too. But here's, here's what Scripture says. This is God talking. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eyes upon you. And guess who he's talking to right here? King David. That, those are God's words. Write this down, Psalms 32.8. So, so God says, 
I'll instruct you. I'll teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you, and my eyes are upon you. Look at the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 58, 11. It contains the assurance that if the people repent, write that down and underline it, if the people repent and obey, the Lord will guide you always. Not sometimes, always. Now, I've had times in my life the Lord guided me, and I rejected it. And I went back, and I said, you know, I knew I should have done that. And you know what God said? I, I tried. Uh, you know, here's Jesus crying over Jerusalem. You have killed the prophets and stoned those that my father has sent you. How often I I, I would have preferred to, to gather you together and to protect you as a hen gathers her chicks and protects them under her wings. But what did he say to Jerusalem? They're still suffering from it today, but you were not willing. That, hey, God could not have sent you more times. He sent the prophets. He sent me. We're all telling you his plan of redemption, and you've rejected it. That was his plan. That was his will, and you pushed back. So now Jesus is crying because he says, it's going to be a wild ride now to get you where we got to go. This was, this was the preferred route. And we'll get to that too because the beautiful thing is even when we mess it up, He'll come on out and give you another shot. Praise his holy name for that. Now, we make a mess down here, but he'll, 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 that means he gives up on us. So, so this is important. So the thing we got to keep is if you want to be in God's will and you want to know God's will and you want to understand it and you want to be guided, first of all, you've got to have an intimate relationship with him. God is the main theme in Psalms 25. That's a great psalm. Write it down because we don't have time to go through all of it today, but I'll give you a few highlights. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. So, so who does he teach? It doesn't say perfect people. He says he teaches those that are willing to repent of their sin, submit to his authority, and say, I want you to guide me. What does that sound like? Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you believe in your heart and confess that Jesus is Lord I belong to you. I do what you say. What did we say the best definition in, in Calhoun County C student lingo is? What's a disciple of Jesus? One that says what Jesus says to say and does what Jesus says to do. So most of the time, I know I'm in God's will if I'm doing what he said to do. So, uh, but but did you, do you acknowledge it's impossible for you and me to do what God says to do if we don't know what he said? I, I would find that to be a hard road. And trust me, I tried it that way. You can't do it. Listen to what else uh, the psalmist says. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. So so who does he instruct in the way that's chosen for him? The person who fears God. Does God instruct those who reject him? No. He doesn't. So I can't know God's will if I'm in rebellion against him? You sure can't. You know why? Because you're already not in it. He, he doesn't call us to a life of sin. He'll deliver us out of a life of sin, praise his holy name. So, and then look at Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So who's, who's, whose path does he make straight? All those who acknowledge him. And all, in some of their ways, and all their ways. 
So in the New Testament, the same expectation of guidance appears in Paul's prayer that the Colossians might be filled with what? The knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom in Scripture always means knowledge of the course of action that will please God and secure life so that the promise, remember James and James 1, James 1, 5 says what? If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men generously and without reproaching, and it will be given to him. He says, a lot of you don't know about God. You don't have wisdom about God. You're not asking for it. You don't want it. I, look, I will tell you this, look, man, just total confession. There were The 13 years that I spent where I rejected the church and didn't go to church and didn't want anything to do with Scripture, can I tell you deep down what most of that was? Is I did know what God was going to say about some things, and I didn't want to hear it. I knew that he wasn't going to let me do whatever I wanted to do because I knew enough being raised by, by, by strong Christians as a child. My grandmother, I mean, I mean, I could, I could, I could try not to know about Jesus, and my grandmother wouldn't. They wouldn't know what to do it. I mean, so, so I knew everything about it. My mother and father, uh, they, they made sure that I was in church. So I knew enough of the concepts of God, the basics, to know that if I went and listened to Scripture, and I went to His church and listened to someone who had the Holy Spirit, the things that they were going to say, I didn't want to hear. I didn't want to hear it. So sometimes we claim ignorance, and that's true. But many times we know enough to know that what God's will is, and we say, well, I just don't know whether I can find God's will. And we use that as an excuse. I did that. I'm pointing to me if you can't see me on the YouTube if you're listening. I did that because it was easier to say that I didn't understand God's will. I didn't understand these things, and I, that was an excuse. What I really should have said, which was honest, I don't want to know because I don't think what you want me to do is what I'd rather be doing. I don't want to go make disciples. I don't want to live a holy life. I, I want to have fun. I want to. I want it now. My how how crazy is it? Because I got I got news for you, and we see this over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Eventually, the, you you become dissatisfied with the flesh, and you become dissatisfied with the world. And how many more people have got to ask? Is there more than this? Solomon himself in his book of repentance and Ecclesiastes. You know what he's trying to say? Hey, I've been uniquely given the opportunity to try anything and everything, and I have found it's like chasing the wind. But for some reason, we just have to learn that lesson. We won't just take God's word for it. we got to go learn it. But thank you for a gracious God. We end up disillusioned, lost, and unfulfilled. And he basically comes back like you would do with a child and go, you done yet? Are you, are you ready to go my way now? My way's not going to be easy, and it will be difficult, and it will cause the world to hate you, but you're going to find yourself at a place you can't find right now, and that's a place of peace. Because sitting in my perfect will, no matter how bad it gets around you, if you're sitting in the perfect will of God, let me tell you something. I've said it on my worst day. It's a better place to be in the middle of God's will on my worst day than to be outside of God's will on my best day. And somebody say amen to that. I'm just telling you. I love him so much, and I just love being right where he wants me to be, no matter how bad things are getting around me. If I'm in his will, then everything's going to be all right. I'd rather be there. So that's what, uh, that's, and I haven't always been there. And then right now, I, I, it's a constant uh, pursuit to be in it. Because sometimes I find myself getting out of it, and he's got to put me back in there. Because you know what? Because that flesh is still trying to fight for its life. 
And in and, and effect, uh, a promise of guidance is there because here's what, here's what God says. What? Let your minds be remade and your whole nature thus transformed. This is what Paul tells us in Romans 12, uh, verse 2. Then you will be able to discern the will of God. Boy, we can't miss that. So wait a minute. So if I'm not able to discern the will of God, what's one of the problems, Paul? Well, I'll tell you one of the problems. Your mind has not been remade. Your whole nature has not been transformed. Once your mind has been remade, born again, once your nature has been transformed, now you're feeding the spirit, not the, not the flesh, then you'll be able to discern the will of God and to know what is good, acceptable, and perfect. That's when you know. When you get your relate, when you get right with God, and until here's the way I look at it. Have you ever, and I'm and I'm having this happen a lot as I'm getting older and, and years of headphones banging on my ears and the years I spent playing in bands and stuff like that. My, my hearing is not it's not doing great. You know, I, I can feel it's being compromised, and and it, and and I notice now that if I get into a noisy room where a lot of voices are talking, I can't really hear what anybody's saying. It all kind of runs together into a, a loud noise, and so. Any kind of noise in the room now for me, it, it makes it harder for me to hear what somebody's saying to me unless the room is quiet. That's the way I see this. When we're not in a proper relationship with God, it's like there's a bunch of garbage between us and him, and we can't, we can't hear clearly what he's saying to us, and we can't. the spirit is, is in conflict because we're, we're, we haven't decided whether we want the, uh, the, the we, we haven't decided whether we've completely denied ourselves. So the flesh keeps getting in here, and it keeps talking at us. And then we go over here, and we try to feed the spirit a little bit, but not fully. And now the spirit's trying to talk to us, and the flesh is trying to talk to us. And we just hear a bunch of noise. That, well, you got to decide. you got to decide where you are. If you want to hear God clearly, then you're going to have to get rid of everything that tries to speak and get in his way. But these things got to be removed. And that's really what Paul is trying to tell us. So let, let's look at what, what, what is beautiful. If you got your Bible... Look at 2 Timothy here, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, because we see that Paul is telling Timothy, he says, uh, Scripture is God's word, which we got to know. If you're going to discern God's will, you got to know who he is and what he says about himself and what he says about us. He says, first of all, it's profitable, if we read, for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if I want to be able to be ready to do whatever God wants me to do, then I've got to be in the Scripture enough because it's going to teach me, it's going to, it's going to reprove me, it's going to correct me, and it's going to train me in righteousness. So let, let's break that down a little bit, and J.I. Packer does a good job of that. What, what, is, what does this English word here, teaching, mean in this Scripture? It means comprehensive instruction and doctrine. It's real straightforward. You need the Word of God's good for one thing, to teach you what God has said, to teach you what He's inspired people to write, which ultimately is all about Him. And, and the Bible from beginning to end ultimately is about Jesus. So to comprehensively instruct us, that's the teaching and the ethics and the work. And also we learn about the will of God. We, we see, like we see um, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, let's think about that, because we know that Jesus said what in, in Matthew 7, these convicting words that we talk about a lot, that a lot of people say his name, and they claim that, that his name's attached to all kinds of things, but if you see things that are confusing or in conflict with his Father, 
then that's not real. That's fake. That's a false teacher. That's a, a false claim. That's a false organization. No matter how much they talk about me, he says, only those that do the will of my Father are the real deal. When in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we see that Paul says to the Thessalonians uh, in Thessalonica, he says that I am calling you to sanctification. You need to grow spiritually because your sanctification is the will of God. All right, so am I in, am I in, in, in the will of God? Well, let me ask you this. Are you being sanctified? Because Paul says that one of the things that's absolutely the will of God is that we be growing spiritually. So do you take the time, if you're listening to this or watching this, there's some effort there, because this is a Bible study, so that's good. But so what, what, what Paul is saying is, it is the will of God that you be growing spiritually. So if your decision is to remain a spiritual infant, you're already not in the will of God. You're not in it. Because one of the things that we know is the will of God is that we be growing spiritually. That's in Scripture. So that's one of the things that, that means Scripture is good for teaching. What, what's next? It says also good for reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Now, these signify that we now take what we've learned and we apply it. We do it. It says so it shows us what we should do, and then, then, then it, 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 we get reproved. What does that mean? Hey, you know this. You read this in Scripture. Why aren't you doing it? We get corrected. What you just did is what Scripture says not to do. Okay, and then training in righteousness. We're we're now being trained by what Scripture says to do. You see how this works, and this this signifies the applying of the uh, instruction to our disordered lives. What what do we say about at themanchurch.com? And when this word hit, I remember the first time that Andy Blanks, who's part of our team, said it to me. And here it is is that we are looking to not just challenge men. That's the reproof and the correction and the training. We're looking to equip. We're looking to equip the men. It's high challenge that also takes you into high equipping. Because if all I do is ever challenge you and I never equip you, you don't know what to do. All I've told you is what the standard is, but I've never told you how you go about it. Remember what I said? Wouldn't you be frustrated if you looked in Scripture and or you heard some guy talking all the time and he said that it's God's will that you be a mechanic? And I'm like, well, where do I learn to fix a car? Well, nowhere. We're not going to show you that. Well, well, this is going to be very frustrating. All you've done is scream that I need to, be, need to be a mechanic at me, but you haven't shown me how to do it. Well, Scripture doesn't just say this is God, fear God, he is holy, you must be redeemed. It says here's how that happens, and here's what you do after Here's what disciples do. Here's what I said to do. Here's what I said not to do. Here's the power for you to understand the discernment and the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to be equipped and ready for every good work, as Paul told Timothy, the Word of God will get you ready, that is a life that is already set to go God's way, to be guided by God, to be in His will. So i got news for you. You might as well take this thing and shut it down right now and not, don't go any further if you haven't taken that first step. You're never going to be in God's will if you don't have any concept of Scripture. If you, if you have not taken the Word of God for it to teach you, reprove you, correct you, and train you, then the pursuit of God's will in your life cannot even begin. Can't even begin. So... Go ahead and finish what we're talking about today because that's going to be part of, of training, but you're going to have to correct that in your life. You can sit there all day long waiting for some fuzzy feeling 
from the Holy Spirit and say, I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to guide me. Well, that Holy Spirit's not guiding you because you're not in the proper relationship with God and you don't know his word. And if you don't know his word, the pursuit of his will is going to be extremely difficult, if not impossible. So that's the first thing. So, so then let's get into the Holy Spirit because I, I've done this. I've heard this talked about a lot. Just wait for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that, that's not false, but remember, we talked about this before, and I know some people out there, they're all into signs and wonders and all these miraculous moments when, you know, when the Holy Spirit uh, clarified this, and, and those things do happen. But that can't be the only thing that you're relying on for God's will. Like you're sitting there saying, I don't know if I'm supposed to make this vocation change or not. And he talks about in this chapter that people who are followers of Jesus trying to find God's will for their vocation, for who they're supposed to marry, that's probably where sometimes the most confusion comes in. Because you're like, well, I mean, what is God telling me? What, what are some things I need to be looking for in that? So let's talk about the instructor that we've been given, the Holy Spirit. You have been anointed by the Holy One. The anointed which you received from Him abides in you. This is all about the Holy Spirit. His anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true and is no lie. This is 1 John 2, uh, verse 20 and 27. Doubt as to the availability of guidance would be a slur on the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit. So we're not going to deny that the Holy Spirit doesn't prompt us, doesn't teach us, doesn't help us, because to deny that is a slur. Of course, of course the Holy Spirit does this, of course. But you need to look, if you look, it is notable uh, that in the book of Acts, and, and I'm going to talk about it in the, in the uh, actually go to the verse in the Jerusalem Council, but if you look in Acts 8.29, you see this about the Holy Spirit, 10.19.13.2.16.6, all talks about how the Holy Spirit has been given to us to guide us. But when you look into the Jerusalem Council, you kind of see how this is applied in a pretty clear way. So if you have your Bible, let's go to um, chapter 15 of the book of Acts. I really enjoyed learning when we did our study on the book of Acts. If you missed that, we went verse by verse on the book, on the book of Acts. You can find that in our archives of former Bible studies. But at the Jerusalem Council, we're trying to, we're trying to get this church to work with, with Jews and Gentiles. And there's a lot of problems with that. Uh, the Jews are saying these Gentiles must be physically circumcised, not just spiritually circumcised. And then over here, the 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 uh, the, the Greeks are saying, and the, and the Gentiles saying, we don't think we have to do that. But oh, by the way, we're clinging to some of our pagan rituals, which uh, which you know, and the and the Jewish people are saying that that's got to go. Uh, this is that. So so they they try with with Peter, they try with Paul, they try with John, and they can't get it under control, and they send for James. And when James shows up, it says no one opposed him, and that tells me a lot about James because they had already opposed Paul, and they had opposed John, and they had opposed Peter. But James shows up, and everybody said, everybody be quiet, James is here. And, and so James lays out what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. Okay? No, these Gentiles don't have to be physically circumcised. So I'm shooting that down. And yes, you Gentiles have got to stop some of these pagan practices. That's not going to be part of the church. And then listen to what he says in verse 28. So he goes through and he, he take, now is he just doing this of his own opinion? No. Look, look at this. In, in Acts 15, verse 28, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. And then he lays out the requirements. So what did he say first? I'm not coming here to lay down anything requirement on you. It's not of God. 
All I'm going to do is lay down the requirements. And so what does he say? I'm not going to overburden you, meaning I'm not going to start adding things to this that the Holy Spirit is not saying, but I'm also not going to dumb it down to a level lower than what is required. I'm going to lay out the restrictions and the requirements exactly the way the Holy Spirit has prompted me to do so. So there, there was James under the uh, authority of the Holy Spirit. So that, that's important. So how do we receive this guidance? And I know uh, for some of this it can, it can get kind of um, uh, difficult for us on, on, on what we're doing and what we're not doing and, and how we make this happen. So l- let's talk a little bit about this because to, to honor the Holy Spirit as our guide is first of all to honor the Holy Scriptures through which he guides us, okay? So back to that again. Understand that the first place we go to be guided properly is Scripture. And I don't know about you, that's not a slight against the Holy Spirit because I didn't fully understand the Scriptures when I didn't have the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that allowed me to understand things about God that I couldn't understand before I had Him. So that's not a slight. That's the Holy Spirit doing its job. So, But but look at uh, in, in Romans chapter 8, 14, and and J.I. Packer says, Be it noted that the reference to being led by the Spirit in Romans 8, 14 relates not to some inward voice or some kind of experience, and listen to this, but to mortifying the known sin and not living after the flesh. He's saying that he's being guided by the Spirit once he had mortified his body, once he completely denied self and came under the authority of, uh, of, of Christ came under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And, and so what we have to understand is never at any time do we look for just some feeling from the Holy Spirit that is outside the Word of God. Now, this is important. I've seen this before. I've seen people who proclaim to be Christians, they claim the Holy Spirit has told them to do something that isn't biblical. And there's examples of this in the chapter that we don't have time for here. Here today, but you can look at it. But I can give you some examples out of my own life. I mean, I've known people that have decided after hearing a message about the way marriage should be or whatever, that they think the Holy Spirit led them to divorce their spouse because their marriage is not under the authority of God. They're not, they're not behaving right, and, they, and, he, and this person needs to get their act together and start a new life and do a whole do-over and say, hey, you know, I just feel like the Holy Spirit's led me to divorce my spouse. Well, that's not of God. That, that can't be because, you know, in the particular marriage, if there's, no, if, if there's only two situations that you look at a marriage to be dissolved that wouldn't be sinful, one of them is an unfaithful spouse that will not repent, that does not want to be reconciled and continues to live in sin, or the person can't get past that insult. Jesus said, I allow for that to be a very, very unique and, and hopefully not very often but sometimes if sexual sin has come into a marriage and it can't be overcome, it may not survive. The other is, what did Paul tell us, back to the Corinthians again, he says, if you, have, or if you are married to a non-believer, really what happened a lot in those times, and Peter talked about it too, all these pagans, sometimes one spouse would become a follower of Jesus, the other spouse wouldn't. And so, and, and with women, it was really difficult because they were supposed to follow the God of whoever their husband was. And so what Paul said, if you're in a situation where you are unequally yoked spiritually, you've got a non-believer as a spouse, however you got there, if that spouse decides to leave you, let them go. 
Now, if the spouse doesn't leave, you stay there and keep living out the faith in front of them because it might bring them to faith. So you see that there's very few times that divorce is not sin. But so how in the world could someone say the Holy Spirit's called me to do something that is in conflict with Scripture? That, that would never happen. So if you say, yeah, but I've really got this really neat feeling, and I think I hear voices that are telling me, like, to uh, go take this job, uh, you know, that, uh, that is uh, in Las Vegas and is in the middle of all this, and I feel like I've been called to go work a casino. I mean, some of these things you've got to go, well, wait a minute. Is that, does that sound like God? So, yes, the Holy Spirit prompts us, but the Holy Spirit will prompt us to do nothing that is in conflict with what's already written. That will not happen. So you, you have to keep that in mind. Only within the limits of this guidance, the Scriptures, does God prompt us inwardly to the matters of vocational decisions. Never expect to be aided to marry an unbeliever. Never expect the Holy Spirit to tell you to elope with a married person. Uh, as long as 1 Corinthians 7.39 and the 7th commandment stand, that means you cannot do that. It's clear. In, the Spirit leads within the limits of the Word, and that's, that's it, period. It, it, listen to what the, the psalmist says in 23.3. He says, He guides me in paths of righteousness, but not anywhere else. So if, if you think the Holy Spirit's leading you outside of Scripture, that is not the Holy Spirit, Okay. And so let's look at, there's six common pitfalls that happen when we're seeking God's will. And I'll run through them quickly. They're not all that complicated. They're not all that long, but they're important. So the first pitfall that usually stands in the way of us properly following the guidance and the will of God is an unwillingness to think. And we just hit some of this. I thought this was funny. He said, if you're looking for some false piety, some super supernaturalism of some sort, that demands some inward impression that has no rationale, there's no rational base, it declines to heed the constant biblical summons to consider. You know, the Scripture tells us consider. Consider this decision you're about to make. And what he means by that is you need to measure it against Scripture. God made us thinking beings, and he guides our minds as in his presence we think things out, not otherwise. Oh, that they were wise uh, Moses says in Deuteronomy, that they would consider. So one of the things that stands in the way of us getting it right when God's prompting us doing this, one of the pitfalls is just an unwillingness to consider. Think it out. Use your God-given common sense. Use your logic. Is this really something that God would have me do? And and I will tell you this, all the stuff that we're going through with the launch of the manchurch.com and and all that, you know, I'm, I'm constantly having to work out this balance because let me tell you what the uh, men's ministry doesn't need. It doesn't need a man that has gone doing men's ministry so much that now he's become a terrible husband to his wife. God wouldn't call me to be a bad husband. So if, if that's happening, I may be, I may be listening to the wrong voice. Have I been called to go out and make disciples? Yes. But have I also been called to be the spiritual leader and wash my wife? In the Word of God, yes. So if I'm neglecting either one of these and I don't have that in proper balance, I can't be saying, well, I mean, it's what God's called me to do. No, not, not, if, not, if, not if you're looking and you're seeing this is, this is causing an issue spiritually at your home, then something's wrong. So, so that's what he's talking about. Just, I mean, you know, right now, I mean, we're looking at a way to balance some of the demands on this so that the balance is proper because I've, I've got to do all the things that God's called me to, not just some of them i got to get them all balanced under his authority. The second pitfall of not being in God's will 
is an unwillingness to think ahead and to weigh the long-term consequences of alternative uh, courses of action. Think ahead is part of the divine rule of life, no less uh, than of the human rule of the road. Often we can see what is wise and right, and we also can see what is foolish and wrong only as we dwell on the long-term issues. Again, Deuteronomy, oh, that they were wise that they would consider their, their latter end. One of the reasons a lot of times people don't think things through is they'll say things, all right, uh, I think that God has called me to go to this new job in Europe where I won't see my spouse for, for eight months. Eh, let's, let's look at the long-term effect of that. I mean, is that, I don't know. I mean, well, I, I just really think this is what, because see what happens to us a lot of time, we'll get this. A lot of times we claim that God's calling us to something that we just want to do anyway. And that doesn't necessarily mean that God's in it. So you got to start thinking about the long-term effects of this. I mean, think about this. I mean, I've had people say that. Hey, I took this job because it pays me a lot more money, but I'm going to be gone a lot more. Well, you, you might want to think that out. Uh, is you out there on the road all this time, even though you're making more money, but you never get to your kid's ball game, you're never there for the school play, uh, you're never at home with your wife praying with her every night, uh, you're out there in hotel rooms, is that really a is that is that a life that God's called you to? Or are you just trying to make more money? I mean, you, that you got you got to think those things out, and that's what it's saying. So one of the things we mess up on a lot is we don't think about the end result. What is this going to look like long term? Hey, I think God's called me to buy this big old giant house. All right, why do you think God called you that? And He may have, but all of a sudden you start thinking, can I keep this level of income up for a long period of time? Can I pay this house down? Is this going to cause me to not to be able to advance God's kingdom financially? Uh, you know, I'm not talking about the basic, you know, commandment of a tithe. You know, somebody walks up to you and says, "Man, I tell you right now, the church needs this." Or, "Hey, this 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 time to interpret these Bibles into this unknown language." Man, could you could we get fifteen hundred dollars from you to do that? Gosh, if I hadn't bought that big house, I'd have it. I'm not. I don't. I have no, I've pushed myself to the financial limits that I got no income laying around to, to, to answer a call from God to advance his kingdom. It's all tied up in this house. I think about the long-term stuff. So did God really call you to that? Uh, okay, so that's what you got to think. He said, here's, here's another one. And boy, you ever been through this one? The third pitfall, unwillingness to take advice. You ever had people bring you in and say, man, I want you to, I really want you to pray about this. And you come back and say, man, I've really prayed about it. I thought about it. I don't think you need to do this. And they do it anyway. Have you ever had that happen? And I think, I, I try not to take that personally, but I'm just kind of like, well, I don't even know why you asked me to, why did I spend this time on this? I honestly think this is what I'm supposed to tell you. You know, I've, I've, I've looked at some of the things we just talked about. A lot of times somebody will tell you, I don't think God's in this. And you'll just be, and, and, but you know what? So are you really looking for advice? And I've been guilty of this. Or are you just looking for people to tell you what you wanted to hear? A lot of times that's a problem. A lot of times we're not in God's will because we won't take advice that he sent us. And, and Scripture talks about this in Proverbs twelve fifteen. It says, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to what? Advice. God, I just wish you'd give me a sign. Uh, hey, everybody I sent you to tell you not to do this, you did it anyway. I sent you these people. Uh, the, the fourth pitfall, an unwillingness to su su suspect oneself. A lot of times we are delusional 
about ourselves. Wow. Let me tell you something. I think people are more delusional about themselves now than we've ever been. I mean, we're all delusional to some extent, but, I mean, it's just all how, how delusional are you? Uh, a lot of times we, we, uh, we don't understand that depending on ourselves is, uh, he uses an example, I really feel called that this is going to be my spouse. I, I mean, I just think this is the one. And he says, but really deep down, if you looked at it, you're delusional. You just really want to have sex with this person. You're lusting for this person. You don't really love this person. And this person isn't the kind of person that's going to help you spiritually. The bottom line is you just want to bed this person. And, and you're, you're, you're really just delusional about your own intentions. You, you're not being honest about what you're really doing. So that's another one uh, that is a misconception. Then when the marriage turns out to be a disaster, everybody wonders why. While we feel a particular course may be right, and, and, and we may give ourselves reasons, we need to go to God and say what the psalmist said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me leading me in the way of everlasting. We can never, I love this line, underline this a thousand times because this is so counterculture to the world. Underline it. We can never distrust ourselves enough. I pray it every day. God, protect me from my biggest enemy, myself. I am an idiot. I am delusional. I don't need to listen to me. I need to listen to you. Do not follow your heart. Do not. If you're watching this and you're a young person, and you're living in this world that says, follow your heart, or you're just an adult that acts like a child. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Follow the Lord. Follow Scripture. The fifth problem, an unwillingness to discount personal magnetism. Let's be honest. Let's just get real. Sometimes we take advice from people that we're enamored with, and we think we, we're, really just, we're not really listening to what they're telling us to do. We're going to do what they tell us to because we're enamored with them. There's some personality. They've got some kind of a well-known ministry. They have some sort of celebrity. They're important. And so what we do is we, we're really listening not for God in all this. We just like being around them. We're, we can't believe they've taken the time to give us some advice, and whatever they're saying must be it. Outstanding people are not, indeed, necessarily wrong all the time, but you got to remember Outstanding people or important people are not always right just because they're important or they have some kind of standing or you're enamored with them or I'm enamored with them. So test everything and hold on to the good, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. The, the last one, the last one that usually messes, messes us up, and boy, this, you, you're looking at a man that struggles being patient, our unwillingness to wait. God, I want it now. Where's my answer? Where, hey, what are we going to do? Let's go. You know, we're in that microwave society. God, I asked you about this today, and it's already lunch. Uh, Where's my guidance? Boy, the Lord does not work that way. I got news for you. Wait on the Lord. It's a constant refrain in the Psalms. The Psalms talks about this all the time. It is a necessary word, for God often keeps us waiting. He is in not such a hurry as we are, and it is not his way to give more light on the future then we need for the action in the present are to guide us more than one step at a time. Underline this one too. You just underline you can never distrust yourself enough. Underline this one. When in doubt, do nothing. If, if you're doubting that this is God's will and you're doubting 
that he's answered your, your prayer, then do nothing. Do not act if you're not sure. It's better to wait and not act than to act in the wrong way. Okay? The bottom line is, um, it's also, if you decide to be in God's will, one indicator that you need to look for. I know sometimes you think, man, I must be in God's will. Why? Well, everything seems to be going smoothly. I guess I'm not in God's will. Everything's going bad. No, that, that that's not an indicator at all. I will tell you this happened to me when uh, on, with themanchurch.com. Themanchurch.com was running so smoothly, I was doubting that I'd really been called to do this. And finally, we started getting some opposition, and we had some problems, and things started getting kind of you know difficult, and some relationships went bad, and some people that shouldn't have been in it uh, got removed and got revealed to not be what I thought they were, and and all this kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to Scott Dawson, and he loves this because we talk about this all the time. And I'm smiling. And he said, well, how's everything going with the man church? I said, disastrous. I said, we really have had a setback. This is going to set us back probably six months. And he said, so, he said, man, I'm so sorry. I said, no, 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 I'm celebrating. I said, this thing was going so smoothly, I thought God wasn't in it. I said, I said so now that there's been some opposition and an attempt to destroy it by the adversary, I'm actually excited. I said, I, I now know that God's in it. Why do I know that? Because I look throughout Scripture, and I see person after person after person who's right in the middle of God's will, and all they got is trouble. But they're not in trouble with God. They're just at odds with the, with, with the world. Trouble should always be treated as a call to consider one's way, but trouble is not necessarily a sign of being off track at all. For the Bible declares in general that many are the afflictions of the righteous. Psalms 34, 19. So it teaches uh, in, in particular that following God's guidance regularly leads to upsets, distresses, which one otherwise would have escaped. Example, God guided Israel by means of fiery and cloudy pillar that went out before them. But remember this, God took them by a way that led them being involved in nerve-shredding cliffhangers of the Red Sea crossing, long days without water, no meat in the vast dreadful desert, bloody battles with all kinds of people, uh, then, then, uh, then we understand too. Jesus' disciples were twice caught by by night in bad weather with him on the boat on the Sea of Galilee. Both times, the reasons why they were there was the command of Jesus Himself. Oh, but the Apostle Paul he crosses it to, to Greece, concluding from his dream of the man of Macedonia that God had called him to preach the gospel to them. Acts sixteen ten. You remember all this trouble, and before long he was in jail at Philippi. Later he got stoned several times. He was resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. You remember when he decided to go back to Jerusalem when they said they wanted to kill him, and he told the the Ephesians that and they're like, "Don't go to Jerusalem. There's nothing but trouble waiting on you in Jerusalem." But you know what Paul said? But that's where God's calling me. Did he meet trouble in Jerusalem? Yes. So that wasn't a sign that he was in the wrong place. So and then of course remember this. Listen to what Paul said this. I love this. I love this right here. We're getting close. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem bound in the Spirit, not knowing what shall befall me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that the imprisonment and the afflictions await me. The Holy Spirit told me I got problems coming, but this is exactly where he told me to go. Is there? There's no better place to be than in God's will, bottom line. And you know what? Another example of how sometimes meeting difficulty doesn't mean you're not in in God's will. Look to the Lord Jesus himself. I'm here to do the will of my Father. What's the will of his Father? Take him to the cross. 
And we think that as followers of Jesus, that somehow we're going to be exempted from difficulty by being in God's will? No. All right, in closing, if you miss the road, and I'll be quick, thank God that if we miss his calling, we mess up and go the wrong way. I've done it right here. Raise my hand. He not only can restore us, but he takes upon our mistakes and follies and puts those now into his plan for us and brings the good out of that. What is Romans eight twenty eight? He's working together all things for good for those who love him. If you belong to God, you went the wrong way, you did the wrong thing, you suffered from it. He says this. What does he say? Cling to this in, in the prophet of Joel. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. You have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Jesus, to the restored Peter after his denial and corrected his course more than once after that, he, how about this? Jesus kept telling Peter what? We're, we're good. Try it again. Next time you won't deny me. And he didn't, did he? So, so even if you go the wrong way, even if you miss it, and you get out of God's will, or you make a decision that he didn't want you to make, and I've done it, and you mess up, if you come back and repent and fix that relationship with him, he'll take the messes of your life, and he'll start a get you back on the track that he has for you, and he'll even take the things that you brought on yourself and find some way to even use them in the will that he's got for your life. So are you in God's will? Well, what is step one? If you're not in the right relationship with him, I promise you you're not. And maybe that's what needs to be fixed today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, um, for this lesson. Thank you for the, uh, the clarity and for us to understand that really the, that one of the, the main ways for us to be in your will and to be guided by you is to know who you are, to know your word. So much of the decisions we have to make already there and we simply don't make decisions they're in conflict with you to to go that way is always the wrong way and then looking for those specific details that's much more difficult but lord ultimately we submit to you and maybe right now you just need to say lord jesus i repent of my sins I, i i confess you as my lord i want to be under your authority and i want to obey you but in order to obey you i got to first know you and i don't know you so today, Lord, I ask you to, 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 to receive me. I ask you to come to me, Lord. Draw me to you. Forgive me of my sins. Give me the power of the Holy Spirit to give me the clarity to learn your word and thus learning your word and learning everything I can about you. I start finding myself in the middle of your will for my life, not my own. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thank you for this time. Uh, if I can help you in any way, reach out to me, rick at rickandbubba.com.